we are back in less than five minutes for the next recording of the less than five that was like two that is less than five <laughs> true but like there's more like less than two minutes i couldn't think of the exact number in one second so welcome back to another episode of Oil of the Terror already. I'm one of your hosts, Danielle. And I'm your other host, Sandra. So yes, this is our second recording in two minutes. <laughs> so it'll be fun. Yay! Uh, I don't know if I have another oi, because we just did one. <laughs> I have one. I have one. Okay, you can okay. go. So, Danielle, you know a little bit about this, because I think I told you when we were in Salem and I texted you. So one of my, or one of yeah, like we both know her. One of our acquaintance friends from like elementary school is getting married. And I finally got the official invite slash RSVP for her wedding. And her wedding is in less than two months. So I don't know if that's normal. I don't know if it's because the last wedding I went to, like I was in it. So there was more communication. But because I tried to RSVP online last week, and it wasn't working, so I had to reach out to the bride to ask her, like, what's going on? Is this just me? And she's like, no, I just haven't released it yet. Like, it's not live yet. And I was like, your wedding's in two months. How is it not live yet? Wait, like, they don't have a wedding website yet? They have the website. You just, there's not a lot of information on there. Like, she's still adding information. Which is fine. Hmm. Like you, you do you. If you can handle that pressure, good for you. I would be freaking out. But like, I'm like, I just, I just want to know like where I have to go. Like, what time is it? Where is it? So now I know. That's so strange. Maybe they're having issues with like knowing where it is. That they don't have a venue. They do. Like I know where it is now. But even when I did the RSVP online, all I knew. When I finished RSVPing was like the day, and then I'm having a filet mignon, which according to their website is a 72 ounce filet mignon, which I looked up because I had a friend look it up, and that's four pounds of meat. So I'm pretty sure what? it's not 72. Because <laughs> you know, like how sometimes like you can yeah, see like how much how, it that's is. Not possible. <laughs> I think steaks are eight ounces. Usually. Yeah, I think they meant to put yeah. seven. But it what? says 72, and I was like, that's four pounds oh, of meat. Oh, no, everyone's <laughs> proofreading. Oh, no. Like, that's four pounds of meat. I had, like, my friend Bridget looked it up because she didn't believe me. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That's funny. <laughs> so, long story short, I have my invite. I got it yesterday. I know where I'm going. I know what day it is. I know I can go. I know all the information that I need to. It's just been kind of a little stressful for me as a guest to, like, wait. And I'm also not patient. So, like, waiting mm -hmm. for me is, like, I just want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I told you it's a small town, so mm -hmm. I'm sure you could find it. Yeah. <laughs> it actually, I'll have to text you where it is because it is actually at a really pretty place. Okay. But it's also at 530 at night on a Sunday. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. So maybe it'll be fun. I think it will be fun. Like, I'm happy to, I'm glad, I'm excited to see her and to yeah. go and to celebrate. But I'm also just like, I'm an old person where I'm like, it's the ceremonies at 5 30 at night. Mm hmm. I'm like, all right, this is, let's go. 
I'll get my party shoes. It'll be fine. Yeah, at least you're a guest. So it's like you can just literally just like yep. have fun. So. Yeah. See people. I have no idea who I know is going to be there. So that'll be interesting. But it'll be fun. So I'm excited. I'm just like, I'm just one of those people where I'm like, I need the information just so I can mentally prepare. <laughs> yeah. It. And now you have all this time to get anxious about it. Yep. Yep. You know, you know me very well. <laughs> mm hmm. Anyway, that's my oi. I don't know. I get, The only one I can think of is I just have to finish packing for the trip. So we recently, like, went to Target and I stocked up on, like, travel size shampoos and toiletry things. So we should be okay with that. I don't know. So I should have everything I need at least to pack. I just need to pack. I have three days-ish. A little more than three days, so I think yeah. it's fine. I think you'll be you'll be good. Yeah, I have I got comfy shoes, so that's like the most important thing. I think once you like sit down and start packing, you'll be fine. Yeah, I think I'll. I'm working from home all day tomorrow, so I'll try to fit it in tomorrow. But yeah, yeah, I, I, like I was saying to Sandra earlier, like. I'm the type of person where I pack a little bit, take a break, pack a little bit, go back. Like, like it probably wouldn't take much time to just try to do it in one sitting, like probably under an hour, really. <laughs> so I do it in like 15 minute intervals. Yeah, I'm also just like I'm one of those weirdos who will pack an extra outfit like in my backpack in case for whatever reason, especially mm. for like international in case my my luggage doesn't make it, then I at least have like a new outfit to wear. Yeah. So. I'm planning on bringing like a carry-on like suitcase, but carry-on size. So like, mm -hmm. yeah, I could, that's a good idea. Like, I'll have a good amount of space so I could hack another outfit in that. Yeah. That's, I just do that because then it makes me yeah. feel like a little bit better. So, but I'm also that person that will wear an outfit, get to the airport, change into like pajamas or leggings or something so I'm cozy and then change into a new outfit when I land. Wow. I, I've never been able to do that. I'm just like, I don't know. It just like seems like so much forethought to be like, this is my plane outfit. This is my other outfit. That is what happens when you go to school in another country for a year and you get used to traveling back and forth and you're like, yep. I also make sure to pack a toothbrush, a little toothpaste, some mm -hmm. um, dry shampoo, deodorant. So it's all either on the top of like my suitcase or it's in my backpack. Mm -hmm. So then that makes me feel a little bit better when I land. Yes, I am my mother's daughter. And also it's amazing how just something as small as brushing your teeth and deodorant after a 12 mm -hmm. hour flight and being up for 36 hours makes you do feel a lot That's better. true. I'll just so. get some like mint gum, I think. Yeah. That works too. That works too. Whatever works for you. But I did make sure to get a collapsible water bottle because I know that's an important thing, like at mm -hmm. the airport. Yep. So you can just pull that out and get like free water from Starbucks or whatever. Water fountains, yeah, somewhere. Are you guys flying out of Logan? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the flight there is direct. The flight back, we have a layover in Nice. Paris. Oh, wait, Paris, but I thought the layover was the other. The layover is in Paris. We're flying Nice to Paris to Logan. Oh, okay. So the layover is in Paris. 
we're ending our tour thing in Nice, and then we're flying to Paris. So the layover's there. How fun at the Charles de Gaulle airport. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. I've never actually been in Paris, but I have been to the airport, and it is a journey. <laughs> okay. I mm. it was very it was not it was not a good trip. Why? Because the Charles I don't know if they still do it, but it's weird. Like all so also bear in mind, this is when I did study abroad in Italy and I was flying from Florence to Paris to New York. I was up basically all night the night before because we all decided to basically stay up mm-hmm. because we had super early flights. So I was maybe I was one of the ones that slept for like two hours. So we get to Charles de Gaulle and how it worked is you were essentially in like a holding pin with a bunch of other people. And then Mm. depending on what your flight number was or what time it was, then they would eventually allow you through to get on a bus or a shuttle and then take you over to where the gate is. So after you go through like security or customs or whatever, you're basically in a holding pen until... They're like, oh, your flight's in like an hour and a half? Okay, get on the shuttle. We'll finally take you, even though you've been waiting here for three hours. I mean, nothing can be worse with our issue flying from Turks and Caicos. That's true. The flight was like canceled, and then we had to like sleep in Philadelphia. Yeah, so you guys have had your adventures. like the worst experience I've had with like traveling probably. Yeah. So after that, anything. Yeah, the airport's tiny. They don't really have anything there. Like flights getting canceled, not being able to book anything. I'm sure you guys will be fine. If you guys can handle that, you'll be you'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, well, I guess worst case, we're just gonna hang out in Paris. It's gonna be the airport, but it should still be cool, hopefully, because it's the Paris airport. You hope so. You're like, I hope. Actually, the Charles Terrell Airport, once you actually get to, like, where mm-hmm. you need to go, it is very nice. Okay. Um, they had a lot of, at least where I was, they had a lot of cool stuff. But again, this was also nine years ago. So they might have oh, changed yeah. some stuff. Okay. But I'll let you know how it is. Yeah, let me know if they change their system, because I hope they have. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always like, I forget what airport it was, maybe a Florida one where you have to like go on this shuttle to get to like the other side of the airport or something, yeah. Or Chicago? I don't know. But it was the one in the US, but I'm like, okay, the airport's so big, you need to take a shuttle to get to the other side. Yeah, Yeah, that sounds like Tampa. (laughs) So that was interesting. Okay, um, so yes, this story is a article you sent me two days ago about the cold case that has now been solved. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I find it funny. I feel like it's basically once a week you send me like a news <laughs> article and I'm like, how do you find all of these? I find them on Facebook because I follow pages and they'll post articles and then I'm like, that looks like something Danielle would like. And that is the end of my thought process. <laughs> So this is how I decided to choose a topic for this episode. (laughs) I think it's interesting. Um, So it's a cold case from the 1980s. A suspect has finally been arrested. Um, So Melissa Tremblay was found stabbed to death in a railway yard in 1988. 
She was 11 years old from Salem, New Hampshire. Initially, the case gained national attention, but the case went cold and remained unsolved for nearly 34 years. Marvin C. McClendon Jr., a 74-year-old man, was arrested on April 26, 2022. He was currently living in Bremen, Alabama, and was charged as a fugitive from justice. He was a former Massachusetts Department of Corrections officer, but he was employed as a carpenter and living in Chelmsford, Massachusetts at the time of Melissa's murder. He left New England after retiring in 2002. He was actually considered a potential suspect for a long time. I guess evidence recovered from the victim's body was instrumental in solving the case. On September 11th, 1988, Melissa went to the LaSalle Social Club with her mother and her mother's boyfriend. It was nine miles away from Salem, located in Lawrence, Massachusetts. While the adults socialized inside, Melissa went outside to play in a nearby neighborhood. She was last seen by a railroad employee and pizza delivery driver in the late afternoon of September 11th. Her mother reported her missing that night. Melissa's body was found in an old railway yard the following day. She had been stabbed reportedly, and her body was actually hit by a train after she was killed. Investigators learned that Marvin worked in frequented establishments in the city of Lawrence. After Marvin was arrested, Essex District Attorney Jonathan Blodgett said, quote, I can't even express how gratified we are in this office that we were able to pursue justice for any family, and it is extremely gratifying that after all these years of never giving up, we believe we have the right suspect, end quote. Melissa's relatives were very relieved to learn of the arrest. So that's the story of Melissa Tremblay. It's sad. Like, it's really sad that it happened, but it's also good that they got their closure. Mm -hmm. And that, like, we have the technology now to kind of, like, do it, too. So, yeah. Yeah, that seems like a kind of common... Thing now cases mm-hmm. in the 80s or now that were considered cold are now getting solved or they're finding suspects they're still alive but yeah it's a lot harder if they're dead but it's yeah. still possible yeah it's kind of nice because it does bring out like there is like hope for mm-hmm. cold cases still or for cases that are now like maybe the cold cases that we have now in 20 years will be solved for newer technology. Mm. So it's just kind of something interesting to think about. I remember reading that her mom felt really guilty too because like she was the one that let her go out and play. But Yeah, just like you always hear that in the 80s that parents were so much more relaxed. Like, oh yeah, we'll be in this here and you go... But actually, the recent update with Madeline McCain, that's a similar situation. Yeah. Actually, now I just thought of that parallel. Like, mm-hmm. there par- it was like three couples or something with kids, mm-hmm. and the parents were in a tapas restaurant, and like their kids were inside the condo or whatever they were staying at. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually kind of kind of similar situation. Yeah. I just think it also like is a reason why a lot of parents now are super protective of their kids. Mm-hmm. Just because they're like, yeah, I me mean, like I grew up in the 80s. Like the parents are like, yeah, I grew up in like the 80s, 90s, but like it's a different world than it used to be. So yeah, I've always wondered, especially with like the Madeline case, like what would have happened mm-hmm. if her parents weren't at the restaurant or if somebody like was there just watching the kids, like if it still would have happened or not. But I don't know. I always wondered why her, like weren't there three of mm-hmm. them, I think, there? It's like he for some reason chose her. Like, Yeah, it's kind of uh, weird. Yeah. There's just a lot of weird like things mm-hmm. that and decisions that like happens that like led to that but who knows maybe mm-hmm. more evidence will come for that case too mm-hmm. yeah so my turn so mine is a little bit longer (laughs) um so this was actually so I picked this because we did go to Salem this isn't one of the stories that we heard this is Mm -hmm. something that I actually saw in one of the shops that we went to and I realized Mm -hmm. I didn't really know a lot about it so I decided this week to talk about planchettes do you know what they are sounds like plantain but no it's um so I don't know if you remember in the store like the first store we went into where we saw that they were doing like psychic readings and there yes. was oh, like yeah. <laughs> a case behind us while we were talking next mm-hmm. to where they did the readings and it had a mm-hmm. planchette in it and I was like oh like I know what it is like I've heard of it but I don't really know a lot about it so I thought it would be interesting to kind of look into that a little bit more because um, it is described as kind of the earlier version of the Ouija board. Essentially, planchette um, comes from the French word little plank. Um, it's a small, it's usually heart-shaped flat piece of wood that is equipped with two wheeled casters and a pencil holding aperture pointing downwards. And it's used to facilitate automatic writing The use of planchettes to produce mysterious written messages gave rise to the belief that the devices actually foster communication with spirits as a form of a mediumship. They were very popular in seances during the Victorian era and before their eventual evolution into the simpler non-writing pointing devices of the Ouija board that eclipsed the popularity of their original form. Um, Scientists explained that the motion is actually due to the item motor effect but paranormal advocates believe that the planchettes is moved by the presence of spirits of some sort of form or of subtle energy they do take on various forms or they did take on various forms during the height of their popularity there were the american planchettes which were traditional heart or shield shaped and manufacturers actually produced a wide range of shapes and sizes hoping to distinguish themselves so they were um, also highly competitive and profitable market of the devices in the late 1860s, which was essentially its heyday. 
and then um, they created or they experienced great surges of popularity, in, like I said, in the Victorian times. In modern usage, the term that is most commonly associated with the heart shape pointers for Ouija or talking boards rather than the writing. And these devices dictate messages by pointing the boards and printed letters on the numbers. They were also very popular during the beginning of the spiritualist movement of the mid-19th centuries. And they do predate the popularization of the talking boards um, for nearly four decades before the Ouija board really came into place. They were... They rose to prominence in the years following the establishment of spiritualism in America, like I said earlier. This began with the perpetuated spirit communications of the Fox sisters, which was in 1848, which resulted in the popularity of supernatural themed parlor games, such as seances, uh, which were experiments in mediumship and table turning. Participants of these events would actually experience strange movements of tables and communication with the spirits that indicated their messages through the series of coded negative or affirmative knocks. They also received more complicated messages, such as spelled out words and phrases by transcribing letters indicated by the knocks or raps as the participants called out the alphabet into the empty air. There were the believers in these spirit communications that soon began to experiment with referring to expediting various forms of communication, including pointing to letters printed on the alphabet cards, automatic writing, or direct channeling and other methods. The modern spiritualism movement, which was in the winter of 1852 to 1853, and spirit communicators reached Europe. And this is where the French educator and eventual founder of spiritualism, Alan Kordek, recorded the invention of the planchettes on June 10th of 1853. He apparently witnessed seance participant propose a more expeditious expedient alternative to the laborious process of the alphabet calling or the rapt responses. He then secured a pencil to a small upturned basket, which was allowing multiple participants to cooperatively write out messages from the attending spirits. This idea produced apparently astonishing results. And after some refinements to construct a more sturdy wooden plank, word of the invention eventually spread throughout Paris and then into England, where the cottage industry sprang up to produce these devices. So just kind of over the years, uh, the planchette manufacturers included such established firms as Selchow and Ryder, George and G. Boosie, Jacques and Son, Chad Valley, and even the great magician and crystal seer Alexander. Following the commercial introduction of the Ouija board, which was brought, uh, or I guess, technically invented by Charles Kennard's Kennard Novelty Company, an acquisition of the talking board patient by his partner, Elijah Bond, on July 1st, 1890. The automatic writing planchettes took a secondary role to the suddenly popular Ouija board, and the many limitations of its success kind of spawned through the early press artic- articles had dubbed the Ouija board the new planchette, and the patentees were initially quick to differentiate their devices from classic automatic writers to pairing them with a paddle shape pencil as pointers for different far different in shape than from other planchettes of the period so the design really kind of changed and because of that design and because the Ouija boards just became very popular uh, the planchette kind of just Mm. fell out of existence like it's still 
kind of used, but definitely not as well known as the Ouija board. They were mentioned a lot in very early pop culture, like from the 19th century, so late 1800s, kind of early 1900s. For instance, they as were as featured as recent in the 1948 novel No Highway by Neil Shute uh, that was featured back in 1948, where the written message obtained by automatic writing provides the information necessary to locate the tail plane of a crashed um, aircraft. They were also featured in 1960s I guess there's a painting that was painted by Frederick Sands that depicted the planchette in use of his watercolor called La Planchette, which was in the 1960s. And most recently, planchettes have been used in, I guess, drag queen Sharon Needles. I've heard of her. Or a mystic hand planchette Mm. on her forehead as a fashion statement when she was actually crowned. America's Next Drag Race Superstar on RuPaul's Drag Race, and this was back in April of 2012. And uh, Miss Needles has confirmed on her Facebook wall that the planchette was a 1940s original and was not a modern reproduction. And the wooden planchette was manufactured in 1940 by Haskell Manufacturing Corporation in Chicago, Illinois, and was sold with the version of the Ouija board called the Haskell Mystic Board. And then back in August of 2012, the Baltimore Museum of Industry hosted the first of its kind retrospective Ouija board exhibit. And this exhibit actually featured two rare planchettes, um, specimens to represent the early evolution of talking boards, which included a cell cow and writer, um, the scientific planchette, and a GW Cottrell, which is a Boston planchette. So... Mm. I thought um, that it was just kind of interesting to kind of look because, like I said, I've never really even seen one, I think, since we before we went to Salem. I've seen them on, like, TV or, like, around, but I thought it was kind of just a little bit different and cool to kind of look into the history of, like, how they did come before Ouija boards, but how they haven't really survived since. Yeah, I never knew about that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, something new. So it's actually from Boston. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It kind of looks like a guitar pick. <laughs> yeah, they're um, they're interesting looking. Like they're definitely smaller than the Ouija board. Their design is definitely different. So it's also kind of interesting to see the difference of the design from something as small as like a planchette to like the size that Ouija boards are, which can be pretty big. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for another fun episode of Oi with the Terror already. Like um, we say every week, we do drop a new episode or we try to on Thursday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever podcasts are really available. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram is Oi with the Terror already and Facebook is Oi with the Terror already podcast. You can also send us an email, which is already at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your stories or ideas or just, you know, reviews of what you think of the podcast. We also want to thank our newest listeners as well, as well as our older listeners. Uh, we really appreciate the fact that you guys listen every week. And we will see you all next week. Bye.